Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. Flat, F-L-O-T, that's right, Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. And for the next few minutes, please stay with me because it'll be a short time, just 30 minutes, motivation, some inspiration, some education, and we do this without any type of manipulation. So we're not going to ask you for any money. We're not trying to con you into joining anything, giving anything. Just want you to listen as I try to make sense out of the Word of God, as I try to verify and identify how God's plan works. It is a show about the Bible, yes, but no ranting and raving, no jumping up and down, no yelling and screaming. Just listen. Listen and learn. That's the way we grow. Listen and learn and make some application. And sometimes, sometimes people wonder about the name Flotline. What does that mean? That stands for the Forward Line of Troops. F-L-O-P-T, Forward Line of Troops. And that's a military acronym. And we're using a military analogy here, uh, as the Bible does quite often. What I'm trying to show you is there are 10 unique problem-solving devices. If we learn those 10 problem-solving devices taught in the Bible, nothing new that I came up with, they've always been there. If you learn them and use them, they will act as a defensive perimeter inside the soul of the believer. And they will stop the outside sources of adversity before it becomes the inside source of stress. That's why we say often that adversity is inevitable and stress is optional. Because adversity is in fact what circumstances do to you and stress can be what you do to yourself. So think about this. Understand how important it is to live this marvelous, unique, supernatural life called the Christian life. It is unique. It is an advantage that the rest of the world doesn't have because we have the amazing power of the Word of God at our fingertips producing divine viewpoint. We have the amazing power of the Holy Spirit in our life, giving us the ability to operate under the filling of the Spirit and not the energy of the flesh. These are all problem-solving devices that we have, like problem-solving device number one, rebound. And that says if we sin, and we all sin, you know it, I do, you do. It could be a sin of the tongue, such as a lie. It could be an overt sin, such as getting in an argument or a fight. Or it could be a mental attitude sin, such as jealousy or hatred. When we sin, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we will confess our sin, then God will be faithful and just to forgive us and even purify us from all of our wrongdoing. This is something that the believer has to do on a consistent basis. I mean, sometimes you may have to confess your sin seven or eight times a day, and I know you're going to say, I can't remember every sin I ever did, Rick. I understand that. That's why it says he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's even the ones you don't remember. So to live the Christian life, to live this marvelous life God gives to us, to enjoy the benefits we have to be operating under the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we spent a couple of radio classes talking about the unique spiritual life and how it operates. So if you are indeed operating under the filling of the Holy Spirit, that means that you're dealing with sin consistently when it pops up in your life. 
If you are in fellowship with God, the Bible says you're a spiritual Christian. If you're out of fellowship with God because of unconfessed sin in your life, the Bible says you're a carnal Christian. But now there's one more step we want to talk about being a mature Christian. And what is a mature Christian? Well, that's a person who has the filling of the Holy Spirit plus the content of God's Word in his soul. As he learns the Word of God and applies the Word of God under the filling of the Holy Spirit, he becomes a mature believer. He doesn't stay a baby believer. When you become a mature believer, that's when you are dangerous to the enemy. That's when God can count on you. That's when you begin to live the professional Christian life, the life you should live as a Christian. And so that's what we're looking for. We're looking for those of you that listen to this show anywhere from California to New York. If you're listening, I am looking for those of you who want to be mature believers in Jesus Christ. You want your life to count for God. You want to be the person that God can depend on. You're the kind of person that I would like to meet. You're the person I'm talking to. I don't need anything from you, and that's not it. I'd just like to encourage you to keep growing in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the most important thing you could ever do. You know, someone told me the other day it's possible that some radio stations don't play all of our shows sometimes. Sometimes they cut us off with a few minutes to go. Or sometimes they might not even play the show at all. I've had that happen before, too. And it's funny, they never call us to say they didn't, didn't play the show. They go ahead and cash the check, for sure, because we do have to pay for this airtime. But they don't call us and say, we forgot to run your show. But if we catch it, then we can call them and ask for reimbursement. So just let me ask you one favor. If they cut the show off and don't give us the last few minutes, let me know. Or if the show doesn't play at all, let me know. You can always contact me at my at my 800 number. It's simply 800-831-0718, 800-831-0718. That's Rick Hughes Ministries. Or you can get us on the Internet, the World Wide Web, by going to rickhughesministries.org, rickhughesministries.org. Now, today I want to talk to you about the biggest enemy the Christian faces. I know you're thinking it's the devil, and, and we do operate against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Well, I want to talk to you about something that Satan himself got involved in. I want to talk to you about arrogance. Arrogance is one of the biggest enemies to the believer. It's the number one enemy to the believer in time. And this is something that Satan uses. He used it to get Eve to go for the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He, he appealed to her arrogance, and she disobeyed God. And you cannot afford to let Satan manipulate you by appealing to your arrogance. You know, often we blame Satan for our sins and, and for the failures. We say the devil made me do it. I think there was a comedian named Flip Wilson that came up with that statement 20 or 30 years ago, the devil made me do it. But more often than likely, it's just the failure for you and me to follow the protocol plan of God. It's not Satan. It's our own flesh. And remember, we have a sin nature. Every one of us has a sin nature. This is why we have to die, because this sin nature will not operate in heaven. We have to get a different body. This body's plagued. It's infected, infected with sin. The Bible says, for by one man, 
sin came into the world and death by sin. And now death has passed on to all for all have sinned. And the wages of sin is death. So literally it's impossible for us with our sin nature to execute the protocol plan of God. Thus God provided for us a way to live in and follow his plan. He's given us that. That's that Holy Spirit. That's the Bible. That's developing the mind of Christ. That's thinking divine viewpoint. That's not operating in the energy of the flesh, but in the energy of the spirit. But the contradiction to God's plan, the major number one contradiction and the primary reason we fail to execute that plan and to live his purpose is that arrogance. Arrogance. And let me tell you how you can spot it. Arrogance is always identified by self-justification. Self-justification is when someone justifies why it's okay to disobey authority. Maybe a student would justify why it's okay to cheat. Maybe a husband would justify why it's okay to cheat in a marriage, saying his wife is not fulfilling his needs, and so he's going to go out and find someone else. Or maybe it's okay for a politician to justify taking money. Self-justification is the first stage of arrogance. And arrogance will destroy all of us if we let it take root in our life. Arrogance is identified with self-justification. When you justify the sin and you say it's okay to do it because of this or because of that, you are totally self-deceived. Self-justification leads to self-deception. And self-deception is you lying to yourself. Not necessarily lying to other people, but lying to yourself. Convincing yourself that you had a right to do that. That it was okay, that God would understand, that God really knows you needed that, or you needed this, or you needed to be able to fudge a little bit on those taxes, or you needed to be able to fudge a little bit on that speed limit so you could get to work early because you were late yesterday. And so you justify why it's okay to break the law, why it's okay to break your vow, why it's okay to do anything. That self-deception leads to self-absorption. Sooner or later, you will be totally absorbed with it. That means you'll be looking at only yourself, not at God. You'll only be looking at what you want, not what God wants. And that always leads, for the Christian, to self-destruction. Self-justification Self-deception, self-absorption leads to self-destruction. Why? Because the Bible says those that he loves, he disciplines. Hebrews 12, 6. Sometimes he has to scourge us with a whip. Discipline always comes in three stages. Stage one, warning discipline. God will warn you. And you may be involved in that right now. Already God has been speaking to you and screaming at you through circumstances that you are wrong, you're out of line, that you're sinning, and warning discipline is there. And it's best to rebound, confess the sin now, rather than go through intense discipline, because that's where the pain comes in. That's when the Father has to take us out behind the woodshed and give us an attitude adjustment. Since we have no genuine humility, he has to take us out there and give us some enforced humility. So we will mind him as children of his. And if that doesn't work, if we react to the discipline instead of responding to the discipline, 
then he may even call you home early. Proverbs 15.10 says we've had earthly fathers, uh, excuse me, Proverbs 15.10 says he that hates the reproof of God shall die. There it is. There are many believers that have gone to heaven real early. Maybe they should have lived a much longer life, but they got out of fellowship with God. They justified why it was okay to do what they did. They became self-absorbed with it. And when the discipline came into their life, they got mad at God. Instead of getting mad at themselves, they got mad at God. And they thought it wasn't fair. And why did God have to do this to me? And that is a bad, bad place to be in your life. You know, the first creature who demonstrated any arrogance in the universe uh, in regards to God's plan was Lucifer himself. The Bible describes his sin to us in Ezekiel 28:14. It says this, you were the anointed cherub who guards, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God, and you walked in the midst of the stones of fire. And you were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created until unrighteousness, and that's a word for arrogance, was found in you. By the abundance of your slander, slander maligning God, by the abundance of your slander, they filled your inner life. That's their, his motivation, his thought pattern, what he thought he wanted to be like God, higher than God, he wanted to run the show. And so it says, with violence you sinned, and therefore I, that's God the Father, have cast you out as defiled from the mountain of God. And I have excluded you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up, that's the arrogance, because of your beauty you were vain. You corrupted your wisdom because of your glamour, that's his arrogance, and I cast you to the earth. You know, Satan had all the beauty. He had all the authority in heaven. He was very smart, but he was also very ambitious. He wanted to take over the throne of God. In Isaiah 14, 14, he made this statement. I will make myself like the most high God. This thing we call arrogance is a high self-respect apart from any reality in your life. It's some form of uh, real or imagined superiority that we get. Glamour and wealth and prestige are never a substitute for wisdom. Not, it's not what the Bible says. And you know, it's interesting. Hollywood actors, they, they act like they're the smartest people in the world, don't they? They act like they're qualified to tell everybody how we should vote or or how we should live our lives, and uh, they're just actors. They're not geniuses. Most of them couldn't even tell you who they are if they had to because they can't differentiate. They have unrealistic self-image of them own self, and you know that because they think they're, in their self-righteousness, they think they're better than you because they're multimillionaires, and now they want to tell you how you should live your life. These arrogant types often display vanity, empty pride, excessive desire to be noticed. Why do you think they do all these shows, all these award shows, and why do you think they do all these talk shows? Because they want to be noticed. They want to be in the main line of attention. They want to keep their careers going. They want their 
fans to see them. And, uh, and that's fine as long as you're not arrogant, as long as you don't think you're smarter than God. But some of them, and unfortunately a lot of them do. So this lust for attention or praise from others is always an indication of arrogance. This supercilious authority, superiority, looking down the nose at other people, and including things like jealousy and bitterness and conceit, any type of self-righteousness, and the use of verbal sins to destroy people that you don't agree with, calling them names, slandering them, demonizing them, maligning them. And with social media today, I mean, they do it every day. Every day, some Hollywood uh, person is slandering or maligning another person or a politician, calling them everything you can imagine, even foul curse words. And they think they have a right to do that. Well, what happened to respect? What happened to privacy? People need to learn to keep their nose out of other people's business, and especially in, in politics. It's amazing some of these actors that think they can run down the president of the United States regardless of who he is, and they think they could do a better job? <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. Now, arrogance is the only disease known to man which makes everybody sick except the person that has it. Isn't that amazing? You get around an arrogant person, and it doesn't take long because they want to talk about themselves, they want to talk about what they've done, or they want to malign or slander or run down somebody they don't like. When you get around somebody like that, cut and go. Don't stay in their presence. You're wasting your time. They're wasting your time talking to you. The day is too short to hang around arrogant jerks like that. Proverbs 11.2, when arrogance comes, then comes dishonor. And Proverbs 16.18, arrogance precedes destruction, and before a fall there's going to be a lifestyle of arrogance. In Proverbs 23.29, a person's arrogance will bring him low, but a lifestyle of humility will attain honor. Humility is a code word for respect for authority. It's orientation to the grace of God. That's what humility is. And when the Bible says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself and made himself of no reputation, this is an indication for you and me. Our, our concept of living the Christian life is to take on the personality profile of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And humility was his personality profile. But you know, these disciples, they walked with him. They talked with him for three years. And they were some of the most arrogant people in the world. Can't believe. Let me give you some illustrations. For, for example, at the Last Supper, there they are having the communion supper. And they're fighting over where they're going to be sitting at the table. Luke twenty-two twenty-four, and there was a strife among them of which one of them should be accounted the greatest. Competitiveness. And this goes on in the church every day. Church members fighting over who needs the attention of the pastor, who's the greatest, who gives the most, who does this, who does that. Our Lord was about to die on the cross. He was having his last supper with them. They were arguing over the seating arrangements. 
Another time on the road to Capernaum after leaving the Mount of Transfiguration, passing unseen through Galilee, he told them he was going to be killed and that he would resurrect on the third day. You can read about it in Mark 9, 30 and 31. And then in Mark 9, 33, listen to this. When they arrived in Capernaum and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves on the way? But they held their peace, for on the way they had disputed or argued among themselves about who was the greatest. Proverbs 13.10, through arrogance comes strife, but wisdom is with those who receive instruction. There was jealousy and envy among the ranks of those disciples. I mean, they still thought that he was going to bring in the kingdom, and they wanted to have a high position in the kingdom but they had to recognize their sin of arrogance. And this had been brewing for a while. Remember now, most of these guys were fishermen, and, and I'm a fisherman, so I can tell you this. Most fishermen are liars and very competitive. We lie about what we catch, and we want to beat you if you go fishing with us. So our Lord had to teach them a lesson that day. In Mark 9:35, sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said this, Anyone who wants to be the first among you must be the very last and the servant of all the others. This is how you become first in God's kingdom, not trying to promote yourself, not trying to take the place of honor next to the seat of Jesus, but being a servant. John and James had an unrealistic self-image, and they had to learn the hard way. In Mark 10:35, listen as I read it. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And uh, he said, Well, what do you want me to do for you? Verse 37, they said, Well, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left when you come in glory. And Jesus said to them, Do you know what you're asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I'm about to be baptized? And they said, We are able. And Jesus said, well, the cup that I drink, you shall drink. That's death. And you shall be baptized with the baptism which I'm about to be baptized. That's suffering. But to sit on my right hand or on my left hand, it's not mine to give. But it is for those whom it has been prepared. In other words, God the Father makes those decisions. And here are these two wonderful disciples wanting to have the place of honor when they came into the kingdom. If God does not promote you, you're not going to be promoted. And this is what God promises. He promises that the humble believer who is grace-oriented will be promoted. James 4, 6, but he gives all the more grace. And so he says God opposes the arrogant, but he gives grace to the humble. When you take on the mind of Christ, as Romans 12:3 says, stop thinking of yourself in terms of arrogance beyond what you should think, but think in terms of humility as God has assigned to each one of us a standard of thinking from his word. When you take on that attitude of humility based on divine viewpoint and orientation to the authority of God, humbling yourself, then you're, then you're eligible to be promoted. Then God can count on you because he knows that you're not in it for the ego. He knows you're not in it for the attention. 
Peter had his own arrogance as well. In John 13, 8, Peter said unto him, you're not ever going to wash my feet. This is the foot washing episode in John 13. And Jesus said, well, if I wash thee not, you have no part with me. And he used the Greek word nipto for partial cleansing of hands and feet. And Peter said, well, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said, no, you, you don't need a bath. He used the word luo. You, you've already had a bath at salvation. You just need to have your feet washed. And he was so arrogant. He said, the son of God's not going to wash my feet. I'm not going to let that happen. And there was a whole reason that our Lord did this. He had to demonstrate to them humility because they had none. In John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, not fighting with one another, not bickering with one another, but expressing love for one another. Simon Peter said in John 13, 36, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said, where I'm going, you can't follow me, but you'll follow me later. And Peter said, well, no, uh, I'll, I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, really? Well, I'm telling you this, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. Old Peter had an unrealistic self-image. He thought he was something that he wasn't. And sure enough, that night as our Lord was taken captive and before the high court of Caiaphas, Peter did, in fact, deny the Lord three times. Was he still saved? Certainly. Certainly. Luke twenty-two sixty. Jesus came out from being persecuted and saw him. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Arrogance will destroy you. Unrealistic self-image is very destructive. It can even cause mental illness in your life. That's not to say anything about national arrogance. That's where I need to go with this next. I need to talk to you about national arrogance, about the arrogance called artificial intelligence. That's uh, arrogance and ignorance put together. It's called, as a friend of mine says, artificial intelligence. I hope you're listening. I hope you're learning, and I hope you'll stick with me. Because this is Rick Hughes, I'm the host of The Flotline, and I'll be back with you next week, same time, same place. Thank you for listening to The Flotline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.com. Dot .org